Please pray with me. Our good and our holy God, we are grateful for this gift that you have given us, this gift called worship. You have promised us that as we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. And God, we are grateful. We are grateful. We pray, Lord, today that you would change us, that you would shape us, that you would speak a clear word to our hearts, that you would encourage and correct us. Lord, we come now boldly and humbly asking you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, we pray that you would give us tender hearts that would receive your word as a seed planted in rich and fertile soil. We pray that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. Or we pray that you strengthen our hands for service that our work in this world would be as your very own. And Lord, we pray that a word of life, hope, a gospel word would be found on our lips. This is our prayer in the strong name of the Trinity. And we say together, amen. Amen. Friends, please be seated. It's my privilege to welcome Dr. R.T. Kendall to the pulpit today at First Baptist Church. I'm so grateful that he's here uh, to share a message that he's preached all around the world, a message on forgiveness. Uh, after our worship service today, Dr. Kendall will be in the foyer with a trilogy of books on forgiveness. They are rich and they are wonderful. Uh, so pass by and speak a word to him and pick up one of those books as you leave today. They're, they're basically at cost. Uh, so take care of that opportunity. But Dr. Kendall, we're thank so you. pleased that you're here uh, to share with us today. Well, thank you, Matt. I, I'm, I'm very honored to be here, but I'm aware that Joel Gregory twisted Matt's arm to have me. Uh, but then I, I was overwhelmed. In, the, in his uh, office, he had seven of my books. You didn't buy them just this week to Im impress me. But uh, I've been... Yeah, well, I would have paid you to, to do that. I did bring some of my books. Uh, my most popular is what I feel I'm supposed to preach on today. It's on total forgiveness. And uh, they're supposed to be $15, $16. Everything is 10 just getting rid of them. And, uh, and if it will help more to get rid of them, I'll, I'll sign them uh, but after the service. But I'm very honored to be here. Would you open your Bibles uh, to the book of Genesis, chapter 45. Genesis, chapter 45. I think before I read, let me just bring everyone up to date and where we are in this story of Joseph. There may be some who don't know the story. What we have is Joseph, who was the favorite son of Jacob, is now going to identify himself to his brothers. Well, you say, well, why would he have to identify himself if they're brothers? Well, they haven't seen him for 22 years. He hasn't seen them. He knows who they are. They don't know who he is. He is now the prime minister of Egypt, and he's speaking through an interpreter. He has always known that this day would come, because many years ago he had a dream that one day his brothers would bow down to him. He knew the day would come, and this is it. This is the moment that these brothers are literally bowing to Joseph. There was no way to know in advance how that dream would be fulfilled. He thought 
that God gave him, this dream, so that one day he could look at those brothers and say, gotcha. But by the time the dream was fulfilled, it was a new Joseph, a changed Joseph. And instead of saying, gotcha, he begins to cry. He sobs. And we read in Genesis 45, verse 1, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph, when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land. For the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this His most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, applied as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I might be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Let this be a life-changing word. I dare to ask that no one here will ever be the same again. And may this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word I believe I am to bring to you today was born in what was at the time the darkest hour that Louise and I had ever gone through. It was during our 25 years in London, those 25 years at Westminster Chapel, uh, to paraphrase or to quote Charles Dickens, uh, were the best of times and, and the worst of times. And we went through what was our darkest hour. The outlook was so bleak. What happened was so unfair. And I was angry. I was bitter. An old friend from Romania, his name is Joseph Tsun, happened to be in London. And because I knew he wouldn't tell anybody, I decided to tell Joseph what they did. Now, if I'm honest, 
I was hoping that Joseph would uh, say, uh, look, R.T., you ought to be angry. Get it out of your system. <laughs> I think that's what I wanted. Instead, he looked at me and said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. No one had ever talked to me like that in my life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, I could not have known. They would be my finest hour. And then I said, well, you know, Joseph, I really didn't tell you everything. I've got more to tell you. He stopped me. R.T. And I can hear him now in his Romanian accent. You must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. The hardest thing I've ever had to do. Almost certainly the hardest thing you will ever have to do. Because this is going right against nature. Because when you've been maligned or hurt or mistreated, you want to see them punished to get their comeuppance. And instead, you're letting them off the hook. And not only that, you even pray for them. And when you pray for them, you don't just say, Heavenly Father, I just commit them to Thee, because you're hoping God will kill them. <laughs> oh, Jesus said, when you pray for them, you actually ask God to bless them. You say, R.T., I could never do that. I understand. The hardest thing in the world. It goes right against nature. You see, this is a word that we all know Jesus taught. But if you're like me, I would sweep that under the carpet and say, well, we're all sinners. We're not perfect. And then I got a wake-up call, midlife. It changed my life. I've never been the same since. And uh, I was talking to O.S. Hawkins just an hour ago on the phone and uh, OS has heard me preach this. I said, I'm going to preach what I wish I could preach to the world. And knowing what we've been through in the past week, I wish I could preach this to America. But all I can do is preach it to you. And chances are we've all here got a story to tell. If I told you my story, I could win you over. But if I heard your story, I may blush to think that I had a story to tell at all. I barely suffered compared, I dare, to someone here. Maybe you were abused as a child. I wasn't. Can't imagine what that would be like. Perhaps your spouse was unfaithful to you. Perhaps you've been maligned or lied about, and everybody believes the lie. And you seethe inside, knowing that there's no way to get vindication, and you stay bitter. 
I could go on and on. I remember receiving a letter from the north of England where the lady described what their son-in-law had done to their, her daughter and children and grandchildren. It was horrible. Then at the end of the letter, she said, do I have to forgive him? And it wasn't easy to write back and say, yep, you have to forgive him. We all feel that our case is the exception, and it's the loophole. And in our case, we don't have to forgive that. I can tell you something. The greater the suffering, the greater the blessing that will come to you. If you have suffered more than anybody, I've preached this message in South Africa. You think you've seen people that have suffered in America? You've no idea what blacks in South Africa have gone through. And the greater the suffering, if you can take it and then forgive, the blessing upon you is incalculable. So if there's one here, you've been maligned, hurt, mistreated, and the suffering is beyond description. You have a promise of blessing that the person next to you doesn't have, the person in front of you doesn't have, because they haven't been through what you've had. And instead of letting this be a rationale for bitterness, I hope I could get this over. Take it with both hands and say, God, you've done a favor for me that I wouldn't have known. What Joseph had been through, his brothers were going to kill him. Plan B was to sell him to the Ishmaelites. They yanked a coat of many colors off Jack, uh, Joseph's back, sent it. They didn't take it. They sent it to old Jacob. It was dipped in blood. And they said, we found this. Do you recognize it? Jacob took the bait and said, a wild beast has devoured my son. I will go to my grave in mourning. The brothers tiptoed away and said, ah, we got away with it. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Now, 22 years later, although Joseph thought that this would be the occasion he could throw the book at them, and he could have. He had power, second only to the Pharaoh. But by the time the dream was fulfilled, as I said, it was a different Joseph. And perhaps you, perhaps someone here, you believe that at some time in the past you were given some kind of promise that one day God was going to use you. And you've waited and you've cried out, how long? How long? How long? I've come today to tell you how long. As long as it takes to bring you to the place that God got Joseph to, when he would totally forgive those who had hurt him. Let them off the hook and bless them. Well, 
the question is, how do you know that you have totally forgiven? And that's the rest of my talk today. The many questions that you will have, I can't answer them all. Uh, that's why I brought these books, if you care to go into it in more detail. Let me just say that we've all got a story to tell. And when you forgive them, I have to tell you, it's an act of the will. You don't wait for God to knock you down. That's not going to happen. You come to the place and you say, enough is enough. Why would you do it? What hope have I that people in this congregation would uh, do what I'm putting to you? What hope have I? Well, maybe you're tired of the bitterness. You've worn you out. Do you know there are non-Christian reasons for, for doing what I put to you today? Medical people have shown that holding a grudge is injurious to your health. It can lead to arthritis, high blood pressure, heart disease, kidney disease. I'm not saying if you have these, this is why, but it could be. <laughs> I was preaching this in South Africa three or four years ago, and then I went back two years ago. A lady came up to me. I wish I'd gotten more details, written it down, but she said to me, when you came to us uh, in Cape Town two years ago, and you preached that sermon on forgiveness, she said, in the middle of your sermon, I was healed. I said, what do you mean? She said, I was healed. As you spoke, I just lifted it to the Lord and said, yes, yes. And by the time we were finished, she said, I was healed, been healed for two years. That should not surprise us. How do you know you've totally forgiven? Now, I want to make a deal with you, proposition, that in the next 15 minutes, if you come to see that you haven't forgiven, that you would. I dare say if I ask for a show of hands, how many of you have forgiven? Uh, hands would go up. I believe you. But if I were to show that you haven't done it after all, would you then do it? That's the deal I put to you. And before we finish, there'll be decision time. And you can leave this place a changed man, a changed woman, and I guarantee it. All right, how do you know you've done it? Proof number one, you don't tell anybody what they did. Oh, hmm, is that pretty tough? Yup. But here's the first thing we learn. Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Now picture this. Here's Joseph, interpreter, Egyptian garb, his attendants, cabinet, then 11 brothers. And all of a sudden he says, everybody out. Well, they don't know what's going on. They tiptoe out. Interpreter probably hangs around, says, I guess you need me. I said, he says, out. And then, behind closed doors, instead of speaking in Egyptian to an interpreter, he speaks in, perhaps it was Hebrew, but 
a language they knew. He says to them, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? Why did he make everybody leave? It's because he's going to persuade them to come and live in Egypt, in the land of Goshen. He knew that he was a hero in Egypt. He wanted his brothers to be heroes. He knew if the word leaked out, every Egyptian to a man would hate those men. Joseph wanted to protect them, to make sure nobody ever would know what they had done to him. Why is it the first thing we do when somebody hurts us, we're on the phone to tell what they did? You know why? We cannot bear the thought that anybody would admire them anymore. We want to bring them down, take them off their pedestal, let the truth be known. God says, well, what about my promise, vengeance is mine? Well, yes, Lord, but you are so slow. <laughs> so we want to help God out. And the moment we do that, God just folds his arms and says, okay, you do it. And it gets worse. Leave it to God. Our job is not to let the world know. You can tell the Lord. He, that's fine. Pour out your complaint to the Lord. Psalm 142. Tell him. But when you tell others, you violate a principle because God knows what he's forgiven you of. And if you're like me, God has enough on me to bury me. But guess what? You will never know. Because as far as the east is from the west, so far are our transgression removed from us because the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all sin. We just sang it. It's finished. It's done. God is forgiven. But then when I turn around and point the finger at you, God says, this won't work. Proof number one, you tell nobody. Quickly, two exceptions. I had a lady come into my vestry at Westminster Chapel, and she said, they found my rapist, and they want me to testify in a court of law. I said, well, you must. She said, well, you've taught me to forgive. I said, well done, I believe you. But this is a crime. It must be reported. The other exception, you need to tell one other person for therapeutic reasons. You can tell one, but not two, not ten, not five hundred. Tell him. You tell nobody what they did. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. You see, perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And when they have hurt you, you want them to be intimidated. You can't bear the thought that they're not nervous. They, you want them to be afraid. And Joseph, knowing that these brothers, it says they were terrified. You know what he said to them? He didn't say, good. Love it. You're good. No. He says, come close to me. Come close to me. He just wanted to love on them. It was a new Joseph. Proof number three, you don't even let them feel guilty. Look at this. When his brothers had come to him, he said, I am your brother, Joseph. 
the one you sold in Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves for selling me here. You ever said to somebody, well, I forgive you, but I hope you feel bad about it. See, you're still wanting them to be punished. Joseph was helping them to forgive themselves. By the way, if this sermon convicts you, when it's over, don't, don't walk across the auditorium and go up to somebody and say, well, now in the light of R.T.'s sermon, I forgive you. And they will say, for what? Well, you know. Well, no, I don't, actually. Well, you do. I don't. Well, you should. Now you've got to fight, which is what you wanted. <laughs> don't ever say to them, I forgive you, unless they're begging for it. That's different. You might like to know, nine out of ten people you ever have to forgive. They don't even think they've done anything. The people I had to forgive, you could have put them under a lie detector. They hadn't done anything wrong at all. By the way, I never went to them, never said a word. It happened right here. I was never to be the same again. And what's happened to me, I just want to pass it on. Don't be surprised if the people you have to forgive are those close to you. And this may shock you, but sometimes you have to forgive the godly. Mm. Have you heard the poem? Living with the saints above, oh, that will be glory. Living with the saints below, well, that's another story. <laughs> you don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. You don't want them to feel guilty. Proof number four, you let them save face. In Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he says, let the other person save face. You'll win a friend for life instead of rubbing their noses in it. You cover up for them. You make it easy. You protect their fragile ego. And here, Joseph says, look, uh, for two years now there's been famine in the land, and I can tell you now it's going to last on and on. And God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant. Then save your lives by a great deliverance, so that it was not you who sent me here, but God. These brothers are looking at each other. Reuben says to Gad, did I hear him right? We didn't do it. Asher says to Naphtali, did I hear right? We didn't do it. God did it. And Joseph says that's exactly right. God is the bottom of it all. It shouldn't surprise you. It was predestined. Our grandfather was told that his seed would be coming up out of Egypt. Somebody had to get here first. And God says, mm, Joseph, you go first. That's all. He just sent me ahead of you. These brothers can't believe their luck that the very man they were going to kill is now saying God is behind it all. As a new man, Joseph, changed man. Proof numbers five, you protect them from their darkest secret. The worst nightmare would be for Joseph to say to them, you've got to go back to Canaan, tell dad what you did, 
And what is the truth about the coat of many colors dipped in blood? That would be what they would, well, they would rather die than to do that. But Joseph knew that. When you get home, read the whole story. Joseph tells them exactly what to say. He writes the script. He won't let them tell. Chances are you know somebody that you could destroy. If the truth were told, you could destroy somebody. And they're scared that one day you'll spill the goods. Assure that person nobody will ever know. Because that's the way God is. You see, we've all got skeletons in the closet. God is not wanting to yank out the skeleton and embarrass us. He protects us from our darkest secret. Proof number six. It's a life sentence. This matter of total forgiveness. Where do you get that in the life of Joseph? Ah, oh, go to chapter 50. Seventeen years later, old Jacob died. And the brothers panic. They come running to Joseph. They make up a story. Joseph, before our father died, he told us to tell you, please forgive us for what we've done. And Joseph starts to cry. He says, what's the matter with you, man? I told you 17 years ago I forgave you. I forgave you then. I forgive you now. Don't worry. You see, it held good. 17 years later, he still had forgiven them. Here's the thing. It's not enough to forgive them once. Husband will say to the wife, I thought you forgave me. And she says, well, that was yesterday. <laughs> now you've got to do it yesterday. You've got to do it today. If you make a commitment today to let them off the hook, it's a life sentence. It's like a, a tablet your doctor gives you. I've got one. I take Nexium every day for acid reflux. Doctor said, you'll have to take it till you die. I just I live with it. With total forgiveness, you've got to keep doing it. Don't expect them to come running to you and singing your praises. They don't even know you've done it. You don't even tell them. It's between you and God. And that's where the blessing comes. You just keep doing it. Next week, a year from now, 10 years from now, Finally, total forgiveness is when you bless them. And that's what Joseph did in chapter 50. He says, you don't have anything to worry about. I'll look after you. I will bless you. He blessed them. And that means that you come to the place that you pray for them, and you really mean it, and ask God to bless them. When I was at Westminster Chapel, uh, came into the pulpit, in those days, I led the worship. That was the way it's done in tradition in England. And the minister leading the worship, we were singing the great English hymn, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Going fine until I looked out in the congregation, and there was a lady out there who had done irreparable emotional damage to one of our children. When I saw her out there, I, I lost it. I couldn't sing. I just mouthed the words. I thought, how could she be here? Then I had to read the scripture. Another hymn. Then the pastoral prayer. I don't know how I got through it. 
What saved me was offering time. Deacon comes up, welcomes the people, makes the announcements, takes the offering. At about five minutes, I'm sitting next to the pulpit. Something happened to me. It hasn't happened before or since, but I can tell you. It would be as though, and I'm sure of it, God entered into a conversation with me. I don't say this is verbatim, but it's pretty close. It went something like this. R.T., you want to see revival in Westminster Chapel. Is that true? Yes, Lord. How much do you want to see revival? Oh, a lot. Really? Which would you rather have? Revival? Or for me to send judgment on that woman out there? <sighs> revival. Good. Pray for her. Lord, I pray for her. He said, that's not good enough. <laughs> Ask me to bless her. Bless her. <laughs> Say it again. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. And what if I take you seriously, and I answer your prayer, and I bless her? Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> but that's the point. And I had to start saying, bless her. It was killing me. Because I knew God was going to answer me. And by the way, he answered my prayer. That woman thrives today. When I see her in heaven, I'm going to tell her I know why she was blessed. But I may not feel like that then. <laughs> Incidentally, that has worked so much for me. I, I now have an enemy's prayer list. <laughs> I do. Uh, nobody here is on it. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> One last point, and I'm finished. It's a very serious comment. Some, something happened to me. I wasn't aware of it then, but I look back. That was the point when a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit came upon me with insight after insight after insight. People are asking me, how come you've written all these books? They think it's my brain. They think it's my education. Wrong. It's what I'm preaching today. Publishers come up to me, I can't write the books fast enough. What God has done for me, He'll do it for you. Doesn't mean you'll be an author, but you have a gift no one else has, and that will not be used until God has control and you're devoid of bitterness and you ask God to bless your enemy. You see why I would love to preach this to the world? But it's for you. I'm now finished. I made a deal with you. I said, if I were to convince you in the next 15 minutes, it's been 16, forgive me. If I were to convince you that you haven't forgiven after all, would you then do it? I don't know if you accepted the deal. But in case you did, if I have shown that you haven't totally forgiven after all, here's what I want you to do. One minute from now, 
I want you, if you are ready to forgive them, to stand up. You say, in front of all these people? Yes. Oh, they'll know I've had a problem. Yes. But is that important to you? Do you not want the honor that comes from God? 45 seconds from now, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Don't stand. Unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't tell what they did. I won't let them be afraid of me. I won't let them feel guilty. I will let them save face. I will protect them from their darkest secret. And I accept this is something I've got to do on and on now. And I will bless them. Five, four, three, two, one. If you're prepared to forgive them, I want you right now, don't look around to see who does it first. You look straight here. If you're ready to forgive them, stand to your feet right now. I'll wait 10 seconds. Anybody else? Don't miss this moment. It may not come around like this again. There's a verse in Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Okay. If you really mean it, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat and come down to the front. I want to pray with you. Come, quickly. It's been a long time since you responded to an altar call. It won't kill you. Come. We're going to pray together. You know, the first thing I do when I preach a sermon like this is to see if the pastor comes. Yeah. When he doesn't, I worry, because I know he needs to. Your pastor did. Well done, Matt. That shows you've got a heart that wants to please God. You've got a flock out here that are going to be behind you like they've never been before. Now, what you've just done is the easy part. The hard part will be one hour from now. You say, I can't believe I did that. The hard part will be tomorrow morning after a cup of coffee. You think, whatever came over me. Now look, we haven't prayed yet. And you can still get out of it. And I'm not going to look and see who prays. Look, this is not between you and me. I will probably never see you again. This is between you and God. And we're going to enter into a covenant. A covenant is a very serious thing. So serious that in the Bible, whenever they made a covenant, they shed blood. Well, we today are under the blood of Jesus shed 2,000 years ago. I'm going to give you the words to say. Say them if you can mean them. If you can't mean them, just don't say them. But if you're ready to go, Remember, this is between you and God, out loud. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my unforgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me. I forgive them. I ask you to forgive them. I ask you to bless them. I set them free. 
I set them free. I set them free. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your patience with me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. One little P.S., and I turn the service to Matt. When you mess up, when you forget, and you will, you will, don't say, well, I blew it, it's over. That would be the devil. When you find yourself pointing the finger or breaking one of these principles, say, Lord, I'm sorry, right then, just keep it going. Keep your covenant with God, and I promise you, the blessing on you, incalculable. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who will do what has been put to you today. God bless you. I'm finished. Matt. Oh, and note, it sounds like it's raining. That means something in Texas, RT. <laughs> We're going to stand and sing a hymn of commitment. If you have further commitments to make in this place as we sing to confess your faith in Christ or unite with this church, please come as we sing together. David.